0: Metal episode 13. Uh, This is the second part of our um, weird side of black metal trilogy. Uh, This week we're just getting into the stuff that's almost left black metal behind and gone full blown avant garde. Like, um, yeah, so the, the first band we're covering today is
1: Arcturus. I guess the thing to note about this episode as well is we're deliberately setting out to cover a bunch of bands who are really hard to describe. So we're going to be doing our best to try to describe their music in words. But a lot of these bands you just have to go and listen to because they're really weird.
0: Yeah, I, like we've, we're doing virus at some point yeah. and I have no idea how to explain what the vocals sound like. You're just going to have to wait in hear. Exactly.
1: Yeah, so um, the first album we're covering is The Sham Mirrors by Arcturus. So Arcturus have been around for ages. They formed back in 1991 and we're picking them up sort of midway. Um, So the Sham is from 2002 and they start off as this weird black metal band with entirely screamed vocals and become more avant-garde and weirder as things go on. Um, And this is probably my favourite Arcturus album and it it just ends up in this weird sort of area of demonic circus music with loads of sort of black metal influences and these huge sort of like weird alien sci-fi themes enormous synth. Um, sort of dueling with these guitars at the same time. Um, and it has got some like amazing sort of black metal legends in this band as well. So the Hellhammer is the drummer from Mayhem, um, Garm is on uh, vocals and this. Um, Skull, the bass player, was in Vedbunds Under, which um, was the band that came before Virus. Um, and Sverd uh, plays keyboards, also plays with Hellhammer in another band. So there's, this is sort of like a black metal supergroup. Mm. Um, but it's, as Phil was saying, this sort of leaves black metal behind and ends up in a very different sort of weird, progressive, avant-garde area with all sorts of influences ranging from things like you know Deep Purple bringing in these huge like, synths and stuff like that, and then there are some songs which are really extreme black metal as well, and it's very hard to describe exactly what that fusion creates. Yeah, so this this project has always been the kind of uh,
0: brainchild of keyboard player Sphered and drummer Hellhammer. I believe sphere has most the writing credits for for the songs. And when you listen to this album, it's very clear that it's these two in control. Like the mix is bizarre for this kind of music because, um, like, three things are huge: drums are really loud, keyboards really loud, and vocals really loud. Mm. Guitars disappear right down into the mix and just. For the most part, like the drums and the guitars are what provide the black metal in it, like the kind of the link to that. But for the most time, the guitars are just doing the super fast picking, but just adding pace that you can't. There's no discernible riffs from them. The riffs come from the keyboard parts. The only time the guitars really get front, uh, like front of center in the mix, is when they're doing the occasional super melodic leads that come in
1: throughout the album. Mm, And you see sort of other of this as well. There's sort of like these dark ambient sort of electronic sections where the drum kit switches out from Hellhammer's normal sort of really high like reverb on his toms and his snare, which actually works really well Mm. for his sound on this album as well. Sometimes that can sort of kill a drum sound, but Hellhammer's always had that sound and it's always worked really well for him. And then that will cut back to a sort of electric kit just with synth going on. And then, as you say, often on top of that, I mean, Nightmare Heaven's a great example of this. The second track on the album, an amazing guitar lead comes in, which is often sort of a little, um, has some effects on it and sounds a little distant, like it's coming out of a phone or something like that. And you'd think if this was any other band, that guitar lead would be louder than everything else Mm -hmm. by like an order of magnitude. And here it's not. There's an amazing degree of restraint which I think makes it all the better. It's really well put together with such a weird sound mix. Yeah, it's, it's something that might have been off-putting to a lot of people, like more involved in the black metal
0: community. But I think the quality of the musicians you got on display—it made perfect sense to sound this way. So like, Hellhammer, just—he's always been like this. Just one of the tightest drummers in black metal. Mm-hmm. So his sound being that kind of focused down, it's perfect. Like, it's nice hearing everything he's doing throughout, and equally. Ferd is a ludicrously good keyboard player and not in that kind of slightly boring, like, say, Symphony X style power metal solos way. His kind of keyboard playing far more resembles kind of almost like classical piano type mm. playing. There's lots of very long instrumental sections, like, say, the um, beginning of Collapse Generation, which is yeah. just a huge kind of piano piece like and then finally comes in with guitars and so
1: on it was at the beginning as well this huge piano piece you sort of then transition to like Tromello picking like proper black metal Mm. but written in such a way it doesn't really feel like that and the only song of this album that like really feels like full on black metal to me would be um, Radical Cult where they enlist Ishan to provide some vocals as well so that that you can really see the roots of black metal I think you can see it in Collapse Generation as well and sort of elsewhere but then a lot of the other songs take the sort of fundamentals of that from the drumming and some of the guitars and then make it into something completely different and just sort of mad particularly towards the end of the album we have this huge closing track which is nearly 11 minutes long Mm -hmm. and goes on this you know like weirdly sort of dream theater style massive journey through all sorts of different genres um but yeah like it never outstays its welcome even though it's 11 minutes long so the way that the Synth in particular is written, the way that interplays with the guitar and everything else that's going on is really well done. And again, this album is so sort—it's—it's it's forty-one minutes long, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a really short album, and it's really tight. I don't think there's a wasted moment on this. Yeah, it's quite quite odd for say this kind of very progressive
0: avant-garde metal. It's it's really to the point. Seven tracks, most of them not beyond five minutes, uh, bar the final track. Four to get, mm. four to end yet again. Yeah. With, which kind of points to the, the lyrics on this album are incredibly <laughs> weird and I can't make any sense of <laughs> them. They're mostly just like sci fi themed strangeness, which mm-hmm. it was a kind of ongoing theme that the band's always had. Like, if you look at pictures of the band members or any kind of live performances, they always have these kind of ludicrous costumes, like, which is somewhere between sci fi but then like Viking and. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You've got these enormous, like, black and white coats with sort of. Viking helmets and stuff like that at the same time and it's yeah it's a really interesting fusion Um, but as you like the lyrics are quite hard to work out what on earth they're going on about yeah Um, but like the the vocal delivery is excellent as well like it varies so much like it has so much charisma to it and yet manages Mm -hmm. to get some really sort of from a musician's point of view, like really impressive vocal delivery as well as sort of feeling like some form of epic sci fi narrator of something. Yeah, so we haven't got to that yet, but like
0: one of the main standouts for this album, actually for most of Arcturus' career, the vocals are always a standout feature. Mm. So on this album, they're delivered by Christopher Rigg, aka Garm, aka. Trickster G, aka Trickster G Rex, aka G Wolf, aka Fiery G Mailstorm, aka Garm Backbone, aka Wagner, aka Wagner Inc, or G Dot Player. <laughs> um, this is his third and final album with the band, and like anyone who knows a bit about Garm, like he's kind of gone this journey of being starting out as a very young guy as part of the real early black metal scene with Olver and Olver, obviously morphed into a beast so far mm. removed from black metal and arcturus's journey is kind of similar where they start off as this as rob was saying earlier kind of very avant-garde black metal tiny hints of clean vocals early on then the second album uh, the masquerade infernal um more and more clean vocals and it really takes on this kind of circusy themes you start mm. seeing mm. here and then this album Garm just goes full falsetto. Like his singing is so high in places on this album. Yeah, I think Collapse Generation. He only has a couple of lines, but
1: the notes he reaches oh, in it's is, uh, ludicrous it's incredible and it sort of comes in maybe like two or three minutes into the song when you've just been having this sort of quite intense piano and guitar from picking thing and then it sort of stops and then it comes back in with like these incredibly high vocals which you know for a while I didn't believe was gone I thought they must have got someone else to do this <laughs> yeah, section yeah. But, but he can do it his videos has been doing it live and yeah yeah, just, yeah this this amount truly
0: shows off his vocal ability because if you compare it to say more modern Oliver his vocals are a lot
1: lower than it's a standard yeah yeah well, a lot more sort of chilled out Oliver definitely takes a very different approach to sort of weird black metal and then you know not black metal at all at certain points <laughs> um, but yeah like this really showcases just how great a singer Garmin is yeah so um,
0: like on top of this like the band were all very involved in the production of the album um Garmsford and not the guitarist who was very briefly an Ulver member, but mm-hmm. he's the only the only person in the band who doesn't quite reach supergroup status. Brilliant guitarist though, and not to be overshadowed as Rob was saying, his leads on this are yeah, yeah, yeah amazing. Um, the album also mixed by Tor of Ulver, and like, it's got a really interesting mix. This it's still got a foot in like black metal sound, mm-hmm. it. it's not a super clean production. It's still quite. I don't
1: know, scratchy and underproduced to an extent. Yeah, yeah, particularly as the guitars are sort of a little bit down in the mix. Like, you, it, when you can make out the guitars, particularly when it's just sort of more chugging or tremolo-picking, like, it's not hyper-clear. You can't hear everything that's going on, although it's not, it doesn't have the distortion, like, turned way up or anything. But you still can't tell exactly what's there. And the drums, like... Sound as if these could be like early mayhem drums to me, Mm. like this, particularly when you don't get into the electronic parts. Like these drums just sound like classic Hellhammer, and somehow that sound works perfectly in this,
0: yeah. And also a bit of Hellhammer's influence and some of the more weird directions, say in Nightmare Heaven, there's like a long electronic music Mm. passage, Mm. which is clearly inspired, like, clearly something that helped inspire that other side project, uh. The Covenant, which is a more just purely electronic music influenced uh, band. And actually, uh, if you like um, listen to Mayhem's Grand Declaration of War, I think like um, Hellhammer brought that electronic influence yeah, in there. Yeah. So I don't know how much of this is starting off in Arcturus and working its way up to other projects or... Where they're quite getting these ideas, but it's something that definitely keeps this album really fresh
1: and yeah. interesting. It, it works really well, like because particularly black metal sort of moves into you get atmospheric black metal and really sort of ambient sounding black metal and electronic music and stuff like that works really well in that context, getting that sort of dark atmosphere. Like, mm, particularly, mm. I'm sure we'll talk about Perdition City at some point soon. <laughs> yes, it'll, yeah, maybe next episode. But like that's a great example of taking that to its sort of maximum and still getting the similar atmosphere. And this is a really nice example of it sort of being incorporated into something that has the elements of black metal and something else, and just showing that electronic music can work really well alongside metal, just when sort of written in nicely, really. Yeah,
0: yeah, they're just doing it tastefully, and the Arcturists seem to have that where they are able to tastefully kind of throw in another influence, but keep it all like this. Album feels consistent despite mm, the kind mm. of varying directions and the speed it changes between ideas, like. Frank, like, track six, um, suddenly having Ishan come in and scream vocals. Also, I think Eshon and with um, Garm singing underneath and clean under his screams might be my favourite, like, vocal <laughs> duet I've <laughs> ever heard, even compared to um, on Ishan's Angel, where... Uh, oh, it's like like trading ...trading screams. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I think that's pretty much all we've got to add on this, like... There's a few guest performances on this, but Arcturus helpfully, haven't described them in any. It's <laughs> like um, Hugh Hugh Mingay uh, provides low frequencies on track six. That, I've no idea <laughs> what totally that means. Anything, yeah. And um, Matthias Ik also plays oob's horn, which I don't know what that <laughs> is, and that's on four of the tracks. So yeah, yeah. But yeah, so the, the song we were thinking of playing from this album is uh, Nightmare Heaven, the second track. It's probably a good kind of example of all the various uh, elements of their sound. Uh, Rob was mentioning probably the best guitar solo of the album. Yeah, it's,
1: it's just one lead, but it's such a good lead that it just... And it just repeats itself throughout this sort of electronic segment, but it's it's just just perfect like the writing is so good and following that we get garn doing a
0: silly high bit of vocals yeah. <laughs> where he seems to not stop for breath for about 30 seconds which yeah. is quite impressive yeah. second album we're covering today is the 10th album by the Japanese band Psy. Um That's S, uh, S-I-G-H, not the guy <laughs> who wrote Gangnam Style, <laughs> which I've regularly been <laughs> confused <yeah>. by when <laughs> people have gone, oh, there's, there's that really good Japanese artist. I don't even think he's Japanese, he's no, Korean. yeah, he's Korean, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but yes, anyway, um, Sigh formed in 1990-ish, like um their history is a bit sketchy on the start date. But yeah, like, um, they've been an institution of black metal in the same way as, like, a lot of the other, kind of, Norwegian bands we were just discussing. This is their 10th album. They've gone through a huge variety of changes in what their sound is like. Album to album, they've, kind of, completely reinvented themselves almost every time, despite basically never having lineup changes. Mm. Um, so, like... The last three have been kind of an interesting, I think, progression from each other, whereas the three before were completely kind of bizarre, sort like imaginary soundscapes. was just a, like, completely throwing every idea at the wall, like, m- like ma- massive keyboard soundscapes, like, just total chaos. The following album um, went in a completely different direction, entirely clean vocals, more of a kind of heavy rock, progressive rock mm-hmm. style to it, really catchy. Like they're both brilliant albums, but they do not sound like the same band. <laughs> and then Hangman's Hymns, that comes in afterwards, sounds like it could be a phonic album, like a quite quite straightforward melodic black metal album. Mm. And then we get into the the sort of what I see is kind of a trilogy or a progression of sound with Scenes from Hell, which is a more like sort of avant garde black metal, but with a clear black metal staple. Then we get into Phobia, which then it gets more soundscapey, more melodic, more clean, and then finally the tenth album, Grave Ward, where it, like it gets super dark and heavy again. Less of the melodicism, um, but like even more kind of soundscapey elements, well, possibly even more. But the other massive change around this album. So the lineup has like eternally been Mirai um, on vocals, keyboards, and various other. Mm. He's like the band leader of the whole thing. Uh, Satoshi on bass, um, Junichi on drums, and then we had previously, I've made a note of the name but just lost it, uh, Shinshi Ishikara on guitar. He was kicked out briefly before this album, apparently for just terrible live performances, like turning up with his guitar out of tune and so on, and replaced by genius guitarist Yo Oshishima, who's come in and just shredded all over mm-hmm. this album. And the, the kind of final person to make up the line-up is uh, Mariah's wife, uh, Dr. McCannibal, who
1: does vocals and saxophone and has been in the band for the last three albums. Yeah, so I mean, this, like, particularly from the varied history of Psy, um, you can see a lot of elements from all of that. You can definitely see, like, worship of 70s prog and mm-hmm. this crazy keyboard and this crazy piano stuff and all this saxophone bringing weird stuff like that in that sort of feels a bit like Yes or Genesis or something like that. But at the same time, like, uh, this really put me in the mind of sort of thematically like King Diamond as well. There were some real vocals which sort of sounded like the high King Diamond. And then, and then you have these huge synth lines which feel sort of like a horror film to me, which is really reminiscent of the same thing that King Diamond goes for. Yeah, and yeah. then you have this sort of really fast, aggressive sort of black metal thing where you have sort of like thrashy black metal riffs from, like, the beginning of black metal, and you have these really sort of intense passages, and then it will just drop out to a piano and a saxophone for a little bit, and then it will bring you back in. It just changes directions so quickly, sort of like Arcturus, but keeps you engaged for the entire time.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. So, like, the the core of it, as Rob was saying, is got this kind of really, like, sort of flashy proto-black metal feel underneath. And I think a lot of that can be attributed to... Size started off as a Venom cover band, like, and, and still to this day, tend to end sets with a cover of Black Metal by Venom. Oh, no, that's really cool. Yeah, I the, I remember reading like, a really old interview with Mariah saying he couldn't understand why people didn't want to hear Size songs live. He thought he should just be playing all the Venom covers. <laughs> <laughs> She's pretty cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, so on top of on top of a core of like very like, proto Black Metal sounding riffs, we then get this just huge layers of crazy things Mariah will be doing like. He on this album, he's credited with playing piano, keyboards, clarinet, and then doing general orchestration and programming. So, like song to song, you get just a myriad of different keyboard sounds and different synth sounds, mm. or bits that will just tend off into complete soundscapey noise. Like so, yeah, he'll move between kind of like horror movie style keyboards um, into like really flashy kind of, as you're saying, like Genesis, yes, yeah, style yeah. bits of keyboard solo. It's a really interesting mix. Like how because this is your first introduction yeah, to psy wasn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, I was so the the album begins really strongly and the thing that you sort of notice when you're listening to it is that it's incredibly weird but it's really catchy so Mm. it takes a while for you to notice quite how weird what you're listening to is and how many diverse elements there are sort of going on at the same time and I got like most of the way through the album and then you end up on a casket burner where it just drops out into saxophone and piano and then goes back into intense black metal and you suddenly realise wow hang on a second this is really weird like what's it doing? (laughs) and then amazing vocal variety as well you have these sort of proto black metal vocals um which are center stage and then you have these really high pitched vocals and then you have all these guest vocals uh, i think the guest performance is something we should definitely talk about oh yeah like so we'll just go through the vocals so mirai's vocal delivery is a really unique
0: one in black metal i think he he has a kind of quite high scratchy screen but it, it's amazingly clear you can pretty much get everything he's saying which if you compare it to a lot of early
1: black metal, mm. like that's just not the case normally. Yeah, it's, it's not just sort of shrieking to make the most unholy sound, which is also really cool. But for this style, this works much better because it takes in so many different influences. Having like a slightly weird style of um, that vocal, which gets the same effect across, but you can tell everything he's saying and just has a slightly different tone to it. It doesn't quite sound like a demon because that wouldn't work as well for something like this, which mm. isn't as overtly satanic and demonic as a lot of black metal was, it takes a lot of other cues from other places and sort of feels more theatrical than a lot of black metal. And yeah, yeah. It definitely has that, like, simp thing that Emperor did and then just sort of takes it and does it with this and does a completely different sort of thing with similar sort of idea. Yeah, and uh, the secondary
0: vocals are Dr. McAnubles, has uh, switch, mm. actually, to doing entirely clean vocals on this album. On the previous two, she used to do, like, a much lower, almost death metal... Uh, oh, yeah. vocal but it's clean I think it's something to do with her being pregnant while recording which <laughs> is fucking crazy <laughs> and also <laughs> also just to explain her name yes she's actually a doctor She she's a uh, like practicing scientist when not touring with, <laughs> with Cy I believe although I read an article years ago and I was never able to re it but uh, according to an interview with Mariah she's currently doing some research into superconductivity <laughs> which, which is, is really very cool. cool yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think a doctor for it in physics <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah it's kind of it, kind of incredible and then yeah as Rob was saying we get into this album has like to add to the kind of weirdness and variety of stuff going on an absolute pile of guest musicians mm, and mm. performers on it so um, on track 9 we have two guest vocalists well one one vocalist one doing narration mm. we get Nicholas uh, Carforth is Carforth I'm, I'm not sure it's... <laughs> Of, of Swedish uh, Shining, yeah, who I can't spot on it, no. <laughs> no.
1: He's in if there you, somewhere. If you didn't know there were guest sort of positions on this album, you would probably never work it out, unless you're very, very familiar with Matt Heafy. <laughs> uh, the choice, that's, that's the one I can spot, but all of the others I
0: struggle to work out. Yeah, so we mentioned he appeared on this album in our first episode when we were covering his appearance on the recent Ishan, Ishan album. Yeah. But yeah, Matt Hayfeet has an amazing performance on uh, the track "Out of the Grave," mm. where he just adds some clean vocals that don't really
1: sound like him. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, Once again, showing that he has really interesting taste in music with bands like this and Ishan as well. Mm-hmm. And and the other notable
0: uh, guest is narration on track nine is also from. Metatron of the Meads of mm, Asphodel mm. and he's done a narrated piece on the last three Psy albums and also they have a sort of trade if Mirai always does something on the the Meads album so the last two he's done like I think he composed a whole song for one and then like a huge keyboard solo on mm. uh, Children of the Sunwell Banner from uh, Sonder Commando. Yeah, so... The, the other thing to mention it's not just guest vocalists there is a ton of guest solos
1: <laughs> <laughs> there's some fantastic guitar solos on this like really sort of blistering guitar solos because most of the songs on this album are pretty short I think we've only got one relatively long song which mm. is about 7 minutes most of them are 3, 4, 5 minutes um, you have these really fast guitar solos, just like when we have bits of saxophone and these crazy keyboard solos coming as well, they never tend to outstay their welcome, and they mm. always are sort of put at the right point to emphasise the song, which is something that, you know, when you have so many guest guitarists and you want to show them off or something, it's quite easy to just be a little overindulgent, but I don't feel this album is overindulgent.
0: No, I think I think the short length of the song really helps in outstay as welcome, so they're, they're kind of... The songs, rather than having a long solo in the middle, just peppered by hundreds of little mm-hmm. super shreddy mm-hmm. guitar leads. And it's actually a big part of the kind of change in sound between Yo taking over from Shin- Shinji. Is, um, he's a far more kind of flamboyant, really fast-picking guitarist, whereas Shinji went for a kind of more melodic, um, kind of memorable, kind of like an arch enemy style lead mm-hmm. guitar, whereas mm-hmm. this is far more shreddy, kind of like almost like Dave Mustaine kind yeah, of solos, yeah. but with a bit more melody.
1: mm mm-hmm yeah and um, the sort of structure of the songs is interesting because it does vary quite a bit but you have quite a few songs which have a sort of Fairly typical metal or rock structure going back to your sort of proto um, black metal thrashy type thing, but then they just add lots of weird elements in, and then the songs will do things that you don't expect them to. As soon as you've sort of settled in, okay, like I sort of get the structure of these songs, you'll have ones which you know start with huge synth build ups instead, mm-hmm. or have these like drops in the middle, and then a huge synth just comes in, or saxophone, or something like that. So I thought it was really interesting what they managed to do with a lot of the time what are relatively standard song structures to make something that doesn't sound like it's a standard structure even though if you sort of break it down it's a relatively simple structure. But they add so many elements in and bring them in and bring them out at the right points and add these sort of, sort of really fast solos, huge keyboards, huge synths that it makes them sound really unique despite that. Yeah, yeah. And like, that was something I think they definitely took from the previous album. It's
0: nicely sort of blended a bit more of the song. So the previous album was a concept album about... I think it was mainly about being trapped to sleep or something. It was mm. really, really weird and a beautiful atmosphere. Weirdly critically panned, but I, mm. I was quite yeah. a fan of it. But um, the, the one problem it sort of had was a lot of songs had these, like, one-or-two-minute outros of atmospheric noise, mm. and while they were fun for the atmosphere, they did go on a bit, whereas this album, that just seems to be tightened down, and, like, they're far more kind of included within the melodies. They seem like they don't seem quite so out of place or like kind
1: of interludes between tracks. It's more part of the song. Yeah, because I mean, this album's um, only about 50 minutes long, which like mm-hmm. it's got a lot of tracks on it as well. So you have an awful lot of stuff going on, but it keeps it all relatively tight and never outstays its welcome on all of these different ideas, which really makes me appreciate their use. Yeah, like, yeah. Because it serves the song so well and despite being so sort of diverse. Yeah, definitely. Um
0: The other kind of, thing that ties this and the last two albums together is a guest um, musician Adam Matlock has on all three played accordion and clarinet adding just yet more kind of more texture to the sound kind of interesting about that I heard in a recent interview with Mariah him saying he doesn't really give that much of a shit about production like (laughs) so this why like despite all the things going on here, the avant-gardeness of this, it still has a kind of Venom production. Yeah, like,
1: definitely the guitars. Like, um, now you talk about them being a Venom cover band initially, that, that seems so right with the sort of guitar sound. Uh, it's this really sort of old classic, like when heavy metal started to get a little evil guitar sound. And that works so well in sort of the modern age. You know, you forget how cool that guitar sound was. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just a very
0: interesting album. Um also, just mm. wanted to mention, there's a guest solo from the bass player of Dragon Force yeah. at one point. <laughs> guitar solo. This um, is this is on, this is on um, Casket Burner as well. Mm. Really impressive bit of guitaring. Yeah, yeah, but then I guess it's no surprise that from Dragon Force can play, yeah, he can play guitar. <laughs> yeah, not the biggest fan, but they <laughs> definitely can play guitar. Mm. Um, so I think like a lot of this can be explained like the kind of sound eye has gone for is because outside of Psy his, uh, his other profession is his music journalist mm. so he's like a reporter on heavy metal and the guy seems to have an infinite knowledge of metal like his Facebook page is really worth like the band's Facebook page is really worth following because he shares all these crazy old photos of him in like the early 90s hanging out with like weird bands like Impotigo and (laughs) just yeah just an emulation or or all sorts of like ancient death and black metal Mm -hmm. and just like and unlike a lot of black metal guys has a brilliantly wide interest in music like he's into kind of um, a lot of like kind of compositional music like you know kind of soundtracky stuff and then the whole spectrum
1: of, like, power metal through thrash, death, black metal. Yeah, yeah. Especially yeah. proto stuff. <laughs> yeah, and, and this will definitely link back into sort of, like, the huge synth things which sound like they could come from a horror um, film soundtrack or a TV show. And then, you know, this all links to the sort of weird avant-garde movements in black metal which end up at things like mentioned before, like Perdition City from Oliver. Yeah, And all, yeah. The, all this movement to including music from other sources, be it sort of electronic music or be it film music, and bring all these influences in. I think is like a wonderful thing about black metal. And this album's a great example of that. Taking other influences that fit the atmosphere and fit the feel and just making that work as a genre and expanding on it. Because, you know, black metal was all about rebellion and changing things and not doing what people thought was the right thing with music. And this is just that, but it's, you know, pissing off black metal elitists instead. (laughs) Which is is true black metal, really.
0: Yeah, I think Psy for a long time have departed from the kind of very classic traditional black metal sound, but it's still in their sound. They just yeah, got so yeah. much else like, sh- like wedged in with it, and it, it keeps them sounding incredibly fresh. Like I have no idea how musicians who've been working together for that long can just constantly reinvent themselves, but mm-hmm. seemingly mm-hmm. they can. And like, I really hope to see where this goes. Like, it'd be interesting to see them continue the, I wouldn't say formula, but the kind of the ideas they've been pushing forward recently, mm-hmm. particularly interesting. Um, yeah, so the song we're going to play from this album is Casket Burner, track 8, which is a bit of a, a kind of mesh of all the different ideas in there. So you've got some like heavy kind of black metal-type riffing early on. It builds up into a kind of... Amazing guitar solo, sax solo, mm, and then mm. the, the really common thing of a Mariah keyboard solo where he will switch between about five different, <laughs> really yeah. unique
1: sounding tones. Yeah. And then this all drops out into atmospheric music. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is one of the weirdest songs on the album, but I definitely think it's one of my favourites, and it nicely sums up all of the different influences you'll hear when you listen to this. So it's a good one to check out, just for a taster
0: of the album. The other song I'd highly recommend you check out, it's a bit too long for us to play, is the track after, A Message From Tomorrow, which is like almost entirely clean vocals over a kind of what sounds like a mixture of sci-fi and a Morricone soundtrack, yeah, it's yeah. it's an absolutely beautiful piece but just a bit too long and also doesn't really give a representation of the rest of the album. <laughs> third album we're covering today is uh code's resplendent grotesque released in 2009 on taboo Re- recordings um code band formed in 2002 they're i think they're now entirely british but they were a british norwegian collaboration mm. doing a kind of again a, like an avant-garde take on black metal it's sort of um sort of combining some very melodic elements with some very harsh, like almost quite raw black metal sounds, um, especially on their early, earlier recordings. Later on, they move all the way into like post rock territories, which is yeah, like codes have a heritage moment in their career of mm. like really dividing fans. But yes, yeah, so this is the final album we've uh, founding vocalist Kvost. Um, the lineup is then made up of Eort on guitars, who's like the main songwriter. Viper on bass and backing vocals and guest uh, drummer Adrian Erlinson because I think they were between drummers at the point mm-hmm. of recording this album. This is a, it's just a very interesting, like extremely catchy, extremely tight album. Like, you're new to this band as well, Rob. What do yeah, you yeah. to it?
1: Yeah, so I mean, particularly looking at sort of where they go from here with the sort of post-rock influences, I think you can definitely see that on this. There's um, a lot of sort of black metal and a lot of creepy notes which would go mm. on to, you know, be in sort of things like Swedish Shining. Well, I and mean, we're already in Swedish Shining at this point. Like that sort of weird, creepy atmosphere, but sort of more muted and subtler than it is in a lot of bands. While at the same time you have these sort of really progressive rock style bits. You have these really sort of porcupine tree or catatonia style moments with these clean vocals and then there are these aggressive and harsh black metal parts as well and it skips between this sort of ethereal creepiness and sort of intensity as well and there's Mm -hmm. bits which sound like satiricon and then bits that sound like porcupine tree it's a really interesting mix but the whole thing has a really sort of unsettling yet really catchy vibe to it like this album can go by and then you again haven't really paid attention to all the stuff that's going on just because it was it's really sort of the vocal hooks and stuff like that, the guitar hooks, the clean vocals, they're really, really great and really catchy. Um but then when you look at this album deeper, it's even more rewarding. Like the sort of lyrics and stuff and what's actually going on in all of the sections is is incredible. Like it's really good. Yeah, so they kind of, like, go for the sound of, like, you've got
0: quite tight uh, drums and bass going for a... Sorry, drums and guitar going for a very kind of black metal feel. But then the bass is given, like, free reign to go Mm. off all over the place. Like, regularly you'll have the bass doing something so much more interesting than the guitar, almost, almost taking the position of a lead instrument for most of the album. Like, it's very interestingly constructed. And then on top of these... Like, yeah, just slightly off black metal riffs. I don't know, yeah, yeah, I can't yeah. quite phrase what or it's doing, but he certainly has a very n- unique writing style. And on top of that, you've got Kvost doing a kind of switch between hyper-clean but slightly odd clean singing. Yeah, yeah. And then very traditional screams.
1: Yeah, it's sort of like, you know... Pink Floyd just got a little bit unsettling. Like <laughs> Pink Floyd started listening to a little bit of Emperor and then just like injected that into how they do clean vocals. Um, you know, and some, some of the times like he almost sounds like he's a little sort of um, off, like uh, the key that he's trying to hit. But it works for this album. Like, I never felt that took me out of it because, you know, a lot of this album seems to be about the ideas of pain and depression and things like that and the idea that like just the vocals sounding as if they're not quite hitting it just a tiny little bit off works Mm -hmm. I I, I don't know how intentional that was but I think it's perfect for the um, backing instrumentation which has like a mix of heaviness and melody and at some points like really fast and um punishing as well like not as much as a sort of really intense black metal band but it's definitely there and it definitely marks a contrast to the slower more melodic parts as well which really helps them stand out yeah yeah definitely and and as rob was saying like these clean vocal
0: parts are supremely memorable this album has some incredibly catchy choruses mm-hmm. like especially uh, track 6 i hold your light is a it's the one track on the album where they go for an entirely clean vocal mm-hmm. kind of more melodic song which will be you kind of seen on their next album where they kind of the sound sort of morphs on the next album. You start to get that move towards post-rock and it takes on more of that direction. Mm. But yeah, I Hold Your Life's definitely a kind of standout from this album. I think definitely a popular one among fans. But yeah, just
1: really clean, really catchy. Still slightly weird, still slightly unsettling. Yeah, yeah, It's definitely a lot of unsettling stuff about this. Um, I suppose this sort of leads into... Um the lyrics in general, because when you start to pay attention to those, like, they're unsettling, but they're also, and actually we'll maybe talk about something we talk about Virus, but, Sal um, uh, from Virus said that Frost is like, one of the best lyric writers he knows, he sort of describes it as poetry, and like, it really is, there's some amazing um, lyrics, uh, one bit that's really stood out to me, uh, was, on a mattress of salt, in a sea of wounds, with nothing but my arms for oars, oh, which God. I thought <laughs> is an amazing piece of this, like, visual, like, imagery about just pain. Yeah and, and yeah. like the whole album is really good from a lyrical perspective it's really interesting it's really worth you know, getting hold of the lyrics and just reading them. Andy's talking himself Sal from um,
0: Virus, he actually wrote lyrics for track four, Possession is the mm, Medicine, mm. and Smother the Crones, track one, lyrics were written by Fenris of Dark Throne, so, <laughs> so it has got some serious black metal credibility yeah, yeah.
1: there. And we were talking about this beforehand, before we started the episode, this whole sort of black metal scene, and particularly the avant-garde black metal scene, is this weird sort of incestuous pile of musicians just sort of lending each other to different things and writing mm. lyrics and doing parts for each other. And that's really cool, that like spirit of cooperation is awesome oh yeah definitely like this is like the norwegian
0: avant-garde scene like we covered obviously i earlier we're gonna to get to virus in a bit it's just this incredible scene to dig into where boys bands kind of interbreeding and all coming up with totally new and weird directions on things it, it is why black metal purists do my head in because <laughs> black metal seems the spirit of it seems to be going off in these directions mm, rather mm. than just aping what's come before uh, so, some of the interesting things about this, like, the album's completely devoid of guitar solos, bar one performed by guest guitarist Andras, who joins the band straight after this, <laughs> uh, which, yeah, may be yeah, mm-hmm. a, a kind of hint of things to come, but, like, incredibly also restrained if they ought to not put any leads in himself yeah, yeah. and get a guest in for the one, one time a solo's needed. Um, there's some other cool guest performances, uh, previously mentioned Possessions the Medicine, is the only track without any clean vocals, and the vocals in it are like a choir of black metal singers. <laughs> so, um yeah, three vocalists uh from the band Isaratham, who I don't know, but are like a British black metal band, who all come in and add vocals, and the vocalist of Solstafir shouts the word <laughs> yeah at one point, in it, apparently. <laughs> I won't attempt to pronounce his name because I do not have a clue how you do yeah. that.
1: Well, Possession is the is an interesting track on this, because it sort of takes a break from this move towards incorporating this post-rock and these clean vocals in this sort of strange black metal, and it sort of goes on this full-on, like, satiricon style, like, really sort of slightly rock-influenced, catchy black metal song. And that's really cool as well. They do that exceptionally well. Uh, but it's a bit of a standout on the album for that. But it's it's still a great song. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I Like... The other thing about this album is it's super restrained. Like, Mm. most of the songs don't cross the four minute mark. The album's eight tracks and it's only 35 minutes long. And it seems to be a theme of their writing. Because, like, with the later post rock stuff, it's particularly weird for a post rock album to be super restrained. Like, all the tracks are about three or four minutes. Um, This is the album Mutt I'm talking about. Um, And it's it's, it's just this very interesting way of writing, of just like the band seem to purposely be capping themselves, going like, we can't exceed any length. We can't let anything run on too long. And I think it adds to like the catchiness. I think it adds to the kind of creeping atmosphere because stuff stops mm. like instantly and just you're just into something new and weird. So you never have time to get your head completely around anything that's yeah, happening. Yeah.
1: It's it's such a sort of a quick listen as well. Like it's just over half an hour and it's got so much stuff in it that's worth further listens and further dissection and just like looking and listening to each track by itself. You know, when I was listening to this. You listen to it as a whole thing, and then I have to sort of go through with each track and think about, oh, this track's really cool. But when you listen to the whole album, it's gone in three minutes, and you weren't even paying enough attention to really (laughs) just, like, gather how much stuff and how much atmosphere building there is in this. Because it really does that well. It's sort of a staple of black metal that it's about an atmosphere. And this gets across this incredibly, like, ethereal creepy atmosphere in a lot of it, complete with sort of softer, quieter, more melodic sections and then much more aggressive mm-hmm. sections as well, which really allow both of these parts to breathe. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, like, I would say about Code, as I mentioned
0: earlier, they have this kind of moment where the fans sort of really divide on them. Following this album, Force leaves um, to go focus on his solo project, Hex Vessel, which are more of like an acoustic theme. Like black metal done acoustically kind of mm-hmm. idea. It's a very, very weird project. So they've got four albums, and this is the second of them. The first one is kind of like a far less polished version of this, slightly longer songs, not quite as tight, not quite as catchy. The follow-up, they get a new vocalist in, who, like, is actually an absolutely brilliant singer as well, really, I think, up to a similar level to Kvost. And that album's more in this direction. And then Mutt's the fourth album goes off and just, like, we get this kind of complete departure from really anything metal, like this, I think there's like one track with some screams on it, and it's worth listening to all of these, they all have a very interesting position, but I do think Resplendent Grotesque holds up
1: as just the absolute pinnacle of what they got Mm. out of their sound. Yeah, it's a really well-crafted album, as we were saying, just with song lengths and the overall time spent, it's just you can tell that a lot of thought was put into how these songs were written, how they were put together and how the whole album was put together as a whole, which I think really helps, you know, separate albums like this, which are pretty much masterpieces in my mind from just an exceptionally good album. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's like stuff
0: you, you miss on it as well. Like, just the level of musicianship, like mm. the drumming and bass playing, is incredible.
1: And the and the bass is a really high position in the mix, which is which, so weird for this genre. Very weird in a black metal band, but really cool to see them taking different instruments and putting them at the foreground. Yeah, and and, and it's like whoever did like the mixing production
0: on this, is an incredible job that they've made it still sound heavy without so much of like a kind of rumbling bass tone underneath. Because the bass mm. is, mm. as I say, almost acting as a lead. It's it's just a really interestingly put together album, and mm-hmm. yeah, as Rob says, probably like a masterpiece. The song we're going to play from this one, again, just going for something that's representative of all the elements going on, is a Sutra of Wounds, which is, yeah, just like, starts off extremely melodic, with melodies led by the bass guitar, moves into a super think... heavy chorus yeah, with a, yeah. a great call and response to being force doing harsh and clean, and clean vocals, vocals yeah, yeah and yeah and then building up to a very heavy ending and then like a small kind of atmospheric interlude piece at the yeah. end of it
2: there's something in you show turning on the tonic leather bound riches can't all sweat
1: So the final album we're talking about this uh, time is Virus's Black Flux. Um, So we've mentioned Virus a few times during this episode. um, And they're one of the Norwegian sort of weird avant-garde offshoots of black metal um, formed in 2000. And they're not really a continuation, but they are linked musically to the band before. Um, So Zal is um, the guitar player and vocalist of Virus. And before this, he was in, um, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Vedbuens Ande. Um, and there are some musical links between this and the other project, but mm. Zar was quite clear that it's not the same thing. This isn't like a continuation of that. There are just some links, because obviously you have sort of the same people writing and playing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Zah describes them as more of an eccentric rock band um, than a metal band, and sort of um, uses the prestige of talking heads meets Voivod, which I think is a really weirdly apt description of what virus do. Um, And Virus are a hard one to describe. A lot of their sound is made up of strange, jazzy guitar chords and these weird, discordant guitar passages over the top of really sort of prominent-in-the-mix bass, which like holds down rhythms and plays its own sort of weird patterns Mm -hmm. at the same time. And drumming underneath this, which tries to hold the whole thing together somehow, despite all these weird sort of changes and you'll have these really odd riffs which sound like bits of an ambient black metal project which then seem to follow chord progressions which sound like classic rock Uh, Lost Peacocks is an example I'd say of that on this it's just incredibly weird and in interviews Zahal has said that sort of one of the things about Virus is it takes things that are difficult to listen to very avant-garde and weird, take a while to get your head around and pairs them with bits which are just really catchy and I think that's a nice way to describe them is there this weird avant-garde mixed with really catchy moments and really catchy riffs um, and I don't know is there any other way you can describe virus do you think well I'd say like we have actually really similar style bass playing to what we had on code
0: where the bass mm-hmm. is almost taking a, a weird like more complex lead approach where it's the bass will not stay still at any moment it's all over the place throughout and giving more complex riffs and the kind of almost simplistic but weird guitaring so Mm. as rob was saying that these very strange takes on almost classic rock riffs like that talking head analogy is a really good kind of example of that and then the drumming is incredibly like restrained throughout all of this like the guy doesn't play like a metal drummer it's far more like kind of pulled back and rocky like he's never plays that fast and i think as from saying, he's the point that holds it all together because the
1: bass is doing nothing to help rhythmically except introducing its own rhythm mm, all over mm. the top. And a lot of these guitarists, like, just. There's so much stuff going on that you often think there's multiple guitars and things, particularly as Virus continue past this album. And on songs like Strange Calm, which has this incredible guitar riff in it, and the bass is just going off and doing something else, and they interlock to form this amazing sort of mesh of sounds, where a lot of the time it's quite difficult to make out if a certain part is the guitar or is the bass, A lot of it you can tell, but parts of it you can't, and you think it's being played on the guitar or the bass, and it forms this amazing, weird atmosphere, like just slightly unsettling. Mm -hmm. This
0: album is a particularly dark one. I think a lot of this can be put down to the recording process. Like in interviews, uh, Sal has said he kind of comes up with song title first, and then we'll try and write guitar riffs to sort of go with that. Then him and the drummer will sort of jam out to create the song. And then the bass player, uh, Pelt Plenum, uh, comes in and just over the structure will mm, just mm. improvise these beautiful bass patterns with basically no prompting. He doesn't need to know what to
1: the chords are, he'll just hear it and go, <laughs> which when you hear something sort like of Strange Calm is. Really blows my mind. Like, Zala's words are talking about how it's a lot of him and Einst, the drummer, working together and just doing this. But it, to me, it sounds so much like the guitar and the bass are written to complement each other. And in which case, like, it is just an incredible mark of musicianship and the sort of musical relationship that they've got going. That they can just create these incredibly, like, immersive, mosaic-like pieces of music that somehow still hold together. Mm. And, yeah, it's, it's so hard to describe what Virus is. But I think you were saying this as well. Um, virus are a band which, like, aren't necessarily that heavy... Um, but they have this own weird atmosphere of their own, and particularly if you know someone who perhaps isn't into metal, is but is maybe into slightly odd music like indie or electronica or something like that, it's probably worth introducing them to a couple of Virus tracks just to see if they get it. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Just it's just a bit weird. It's not really the heaviness you expect from metal. And then the sort of the the thing that really cements them as
0: being a strange band is the vocal delivery. The vocals are this really strange kind of. Um, sort of a low voice, sort of slightly sung, almost slightly spoken. Yeah. Always kind of weirdly at odds, rhythmically and tonally with the music. And then adding on top of that, these completely bizarre, kind of
1: almost nonsense poetry lyrics. Yeah, yeah. So, and um, Zala said that, like, lyric writing does not come to him easily at all most of the time. Most of it is sort of him agonising over it and, like, trying to find something that works for the atmosphere of virus um sometimes it does come easily but that's sort of rare so like there's there's a real lot of work that goes into this and it almost feels like a weird sort of avant-garde film where there's a strange narrator talking over the top of it that's the sort of feel i get from it Um, and then over is over the career of virus he's definitely sort of expanded his vocals and tried to do more with them yeah yeah particularly on this album it is a little it's a little more of that narrator but then this album like spirals in weird directions as well and it Again, sort of is sort of a grounding point of virus because you do not know what the like the guitar and bass is going to be doing in any song. So the vocals and the drums, you sort of know what you're going to get into. Then the rest of the song is anyone's guess. And then throughout um, other albums like the Agent that shakes the Desert, and more recently with Oblivion Clock um, and Memento Collider, you do see a little bit more variation, mm-hmm. but um, it does keep the same style throughout, which is this like just very hard to describe, slightly sung, slightly spoken style of vocals, which is really cool. And I don't know any other band that does it this way.
0: No, like most of the bands we cover today, they they have a truly unique sound and style. Like the whole band is, too, and for all four albums, has sort of varied but stayed within this mm. whatever the sound there is. Like possibly this is arguably not a metal album, but I feel it does appeal to metal people, and it's and like so the other projects as well. It is that Carl's I don't know how to say so do, it? It's yeah. got three consonants in a row, yeah, so I've yeah. been playing around the whole time. But he also plays in like super raw black metal band, Oranar, R. Like mm. if you're into anything like Craft, Or an amazing band, like really worth checking out, especially live. Like they're like kind of one of those black metal bands that are just a force of nature. But it's so interesting you can play stuff that's so much more
1: tight in a genre like that, and then has mm. this as his outlet for his weird like yeah yeah it's it's amazing but um like this album in particular sitting amongst the rest of the virus discography um is one of the darkest i think that they've ever produced and maybe <clears> that's <throat> so this is definitely one of my favorites i'm still like getting into memento Collide, the most recent one at the moment it's really good but i definitely just to spend more time with it um this one like so it has really catchy moments but the overall atmosphere i feel is a pretty dark one um and and from reading interviews with Dahl it's sort of about it's a very personal end of the world style theme Mm. to it it's not really you know the end of the world with your huge Armageddon thing it's like the end of the world on a much more personal note and you really get that like it just has this strange sort of art film atmosphere to it but it doesn't really go into the art film sort of minimalist soundtrack it just creates this through these weird interlocking guitar and bass passages yeah I could definitely see this working with like stalker type imagery (laughs)
2: yeah
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the thing we'd be remiss not to mention, actually, is most of the lyrics for this album were written by Code vocalist Kvost. Like, this mm-hmm. album came mm-hmm. out in 2008, very similar times to Resplendent Grotesque, and there's lots of, like, this is the whole thing of this, like, interlinked Norwegian scene, like, Kvost is the, like, Norwegian part of uh, Code, and it's clear these bands are influencing each other, working together on stuff, and just creating more and more left-field music. Mm. On top of that, we got some, to, just to kind of give some variation to sound, um, Bard, Ingra Briston, uh, plays baritone guitar, violin, piano, slide guitar, and general effects on this mm-hmm. album. Mm-hmm. And someone calling himself B9 does soundscapes on the archives and Intermission Ocean Highway. Yeah. Which, yeah. I think, mean, Intermission mm-hmm. Ocean Highway is quite an interesting, like, it's... The one point in the album where they break from the virus sound and just it's just a two minute kind of interesting interlude.
1: Yeah, which is sort of right in the middle. You've got four songs before it and four songs afterwards, and it's like just just almost almost like a break between like all of the twists and turns and like the groove and then the anti groove and weird (laughs) stuff like that that the rest of the sort of album gives you. Um, So I'm not too sure about that part. That's maybe the only part on the album that I'm not sure if it needed to be there. Um, it is quite a long album. Um, yeah, it's yeah. fifty something minutes. Um, yeah, fifty three minutes. But then all of the songs on this album, I think, definitely deserve to be there, with the possible exception of the intermission. But I'm always, I'm always a bit fussy about like long sections of sort of soundscapes and stuff. It really has to deserve it. Yeah, um, yeah.
0: But yeah, like the other thing I'd like to mention about this is Rob brought it up earlier. Strange Calm is definitely like a really interesting moment on in this album. It's the the final track and it sort of takes everything you've been introduced to along the album and just builds up to this amazing mm. kind of crescendo. So rather than having vocals most of the way through, like most of the other tracks, it's got about three minutes before the vocals come yeah. in of a slightly more mellow version of the riffs you've been hearing, then builds up into a great vocal passage and then the final three minutes it just goes into
1: this like far heavier bleaker ending yeah yeah and minutes. it has this sort of like um, I'm not sure what instrument it's on but over the top of this like really distorted fast sort of guitar riff with the drums sort of lowering the pace a little bit to this sort of like nihilistic end type thing it's got this sort of Really, like, quite minimalist, um, but quite high in the mix. I'm not sure if it's a piano or something else, like, bit over the end, which is just like a sort of devastating way to end an album.
0: Yeah, and it's so effective. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely showing, like, I think this must be Bard's kind of influence on the album. Like, it's definitely, um, yeah, builds up to something quite unique mm-hmm. and terrifying. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to play that one because, again, it's, it's another really long one, but it's definitely the track that got me into Virus and I think a lot of other people. Mm, mm. The song we're going to go for is Lost Peacocks because it's probably got the weirdest riff
1: of the whole thing. Yeah, there, there. there are quite a few songs which have incredibly weird riffs. Um, there's uh, the Black Flux as well, which has like, this incredibly like avant-garde intro and then goes into this just really catchy, really weird riff. Mm. And Lost Peacocks pretty much starts with one of those really weird riffs which, but somehow follows a progression which seems like a classic rock progression at least. That's how I try to describe it. Uh, but yeah, it's a fantastic song. Yeah, lots
0: of interesting moments as well. Where like um, very briefly, the guitar, the, the bass, and drums will drop out and leave the guitar by itself, mm-hmm. and then they'll all come back in with the guitar doing like some weird harmonic stuff. And yeah, 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 it's just a very confusing song and showcases the kind of bizarre lyrical imagery. Like yeah, the, some of the best uh, like throughout. I don't think there's a huge amount else to mention about this album because it's quite a. Um, Contained package. It's very. Mm -hmm. It's not like, say, Psy we were talking about earlier, who just go off the map on every single song. Yeah. So this is Lost Peacocks.